Good morning. If you want to open your Bibles to Psalm 30, that would be a good idea. If you need a Bible, let us know. We will get you one. All right, Psalm 30, the word of the Lord. Would you please quit, stop sneezing? I'm trying to read the word of God. <laughs> Psalm 30, I love you guys. I love being here with you guys. It's, it's great. What a joy, what a, what a pleasure, what a privilege to gather with the people of God on the Lord's day. Verse 1 of Psalm 30. I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up. And have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up from Sheol and spared me from among those going down to the pit. Sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. When you hid your face, I was terrified. Lord, I, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothe me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this psalm. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your people. Lord, you are sanctifying us and you sanctify us by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word. And we pray, Lord, that we would be sanctified, Lord, this morning as we sit under your word. Lord, we are good soil. Help us to be good soil. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, a simple outline of Psalm 30 from David's perspective, okay, would be that David worships the Lord for his deliverance, all right? And words for deliverance, synonyms, uh, salvation. Here you clearly see, Lord, you brought me up from Sheol. You spared me from among the those going down to the pit. David is in some situation that is he is describing as a, a near death experience. So uh, David worships the Lord for salvation, for uh, deliverance, and you could probably even say resurrection, which uh, we love that word. David calls others then to worship the Lord. So he worships the Lord because of his deliverance, his salvation, his resurrection from a near-death experience, and then he calls on the people of God in the next section to worship the Lord. And then David remembers, it's like a personal testimony of some sin in his life, and then his repentance and his pleading to God for help, for grace, for mercy. And then David again worships the Lord because he has received grace and mercy and deliverance. And so there's a, a just a like a, a study outline if you were just studying this, all right? It's like, okay, David is worshiping the Lord because he's been delivered. Then just like David, he always takes what's going on in his personal life. It's about the people of God, which I think is a real cool thing, real good theme to see throughout the Psalms. 
and, and so he calls the people of God to worship the Lord for their deliverance. And then he gives this little insight of just like um, just a testimony um, of, of just some stuff going on in his life and some discipline for some sin. And then he worships the Lord again because the Lord, of course, hears David's prayer and delivers him. And so it's deliver, pray, pray, being delivered, delivered, pray, and then tell everybody else to, to worship because they've been delivered too. And so that's from David's perspective. But when we read the Psalms, we not only see David's perspective, we, we do get to, as the people of God, we, we get to make the word of God ours, right? The word of God is for the people of God. The word of God is from God to the people of God about God and about the deliverance of God's people. That's the whole Bible in a nutshell, God's plan of redemption for sinners, for the elect, for his people. And so all this language, there's all this gospel language, there's all this bad news language, there's this good news language is, is woven throughout this psalm. And so to preach it, all right, to, to proclaim the gospel we got to move from David, all right, to the people of God. And this is what we do naturally, all right? Everybody loves the Psalms because when we read the Psalms, we just, we can relate to it so well. And, and, it's, and then the Psalms, though, are not, it's, that's not the only reason we love the Psalms because we can see ourselves in the struggle that David has, but it's because ultimately we see and get hope and we get life and we get assurance because the Psalms aren't primarily about David, are they, and David's experiences. No, the Psalms are about God and God preserving his people. And so um, point number one is the, that as he praises God for his deliverance, then we see our own deliverance. And we, we remember, this is like a return to me, the joy of my salvation Sunday for us. I, every Sunday is that, but it should be. This is a remember the gospel Sunday for us. And, and right away in this little first section, verses 1 through 3, we are reminded of our own salvation, of our own deliverance, of our own being brought back from the dead, and our own future resurrection. And we see just right away, I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up and have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. And so when we don't know whose David enemies are, he had a lot of enemies. But when we think about being lifted up and rescued and delivered from, from our enemies, we, of course, think of sin, Satan, and death. And we praise the Lord because, I mean, how, that does not get, it never gets old to think about the fact that the enemies, not, not the enemies that are, people in our lives that sometimes are actually not our enemies, but we think everybody's out to get us because we're whack jobs and we all, we're paranoid freaks. And we, we just, we always think that all life is about us and yada, yada, yada. Not those enemies, not the enemies out there in the culture that are just crazy. It's just crazy out there. Those enemies are bad. Those enemies are real. But ultimately these enemies of sin and Satan and death have been conquered. It's incredible to think about. And we hear it often, and yet we need to continually hear it often because it does order the temporal and the eternal. It does put things in, in a right perspective of importance. You know, two things can be important at once. One thing can actually be more important than the other thing, and it doesn't make the other thing not important. Like, our temporal stuff is important. There's real joy. There's also real pain. There's real highs. There's real lows and real everything in between. But when we just sit and are reminded of the fact that, like David, that we have been lifted up 
And God has not allowed our enemies to triumph over us. It's incredible. When we think about the, the, like, the actual real enemy, sin, enemy, death, enemy, Satan, enemy, and yet defeated. Out to get us, and yet doesn't get the last word, doesn't get the last laugh. We get the last laugh because God gets the last laugh. And so, of course, we also worship the Lord based on our own salvation. In verse 2, Lord, my God, I cried to you for help, and you healed me. And we're reminded of, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. We think of, like, uh, th this is the, the heart cry of all the people of God. And so we see David remembering his cry for help and his then salvation and his healing. And then we think of our own. This is what we do. This is what we do naturally when we read the scriptures. And, and there's a reason for that. We don't need to read the scriptures in some robotic, blocky way where it's like, I can't actually do what I naturally want to do here, which is, is think of salvation and, and think of the gospel and think of Christ. I only have to think of David and what David went through. No, you literally have to go out of your way to not think of Christ and the gospel and your own life and your own salvation. And there's a reason for that. It's because we have the Holy Spirit in us and our eyes have been opened. Right, to the full scope and the meta-narrative of all of Scripture. And so when we read, I will exalt you, Lord, because you have lifted me up, we see me, you see, you, you see yourself, me, me. I have, you have not allowed my enemies to triumph over me. Lord, my God, when I cried to you for help, you healed me. Lord, when I think about salvation and I said, Lord, forgive me, I am a sinner, or just God help, or even the sinner's prayer, uh, but it's okay. God, God uses the sinner's prayer. It, the whole technique thing. I don't mind the prayers. Just the whole thing is uh. anyway. But God uses that, whatever that was. I mean, for a lot of people, it was just like I believe this. I believe who you are, and I believe what you're saying about me, and and I believe in Jesus. And we remember our own cry. That that that's our cry for help, for mercy. Lord, you have brought me from Sheol, brought me up. This is resurrection language. And spared me from among those going down to the pit. And that, when we think about our enemies, then we think about that's the destiny. This is the destiny the enemy had in store for us. That's why it's incredible to think about our own salvation and our own deliverance. It's because sin and death and Satan, what they had in store for us was for us to go down to Sheol and for us to go down to the pit. That's what was in store for us. Had not God intervened. I mean, we read in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We read, there is no one righteous. And we're like, no one? And he says, yes, there is no one. <laughs> no, not one. We read, no one seeks after God. Remember, seeking after God is the business, as R.C. Sproul always says, the business of the people of God. It can look like unbelievers are seeking after God, but they never are. Again, Aquinas nails it out of the park when he says that what they're doing is they're seeking the benefits of God. It, so unbelievers can, their marriage is falling apart, and so next thing you know, they're at church and they want help, but all they're wanting is their marriage fixed. They're not wanting God. And so... The people of God are the people, are the ones that seek after God. Paul says, no one seeks after God. No, not one. And we know then that the wages of sin 
is death. And so all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. No one's seeking after God. And then the result of that, the destiny of that, the fate of that, whatever word you want to use, the trajectory of that is the wages of sin is death. And, and yet we have been spared. We have been lifted up. We have been raised again to new life. We have been born again. We've been given new hearts. We've been made alive. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler and the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. Listen to Paul. We too, he puts himself in here. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts, and we were by nature children under wrath, God's wrath, as the others were also. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus. Now, this is Psalm 30 language. I cried to you for your help and you healed me. Lord, you brought me up. You raised me up. You spared me from the pit, from going down into the pit. This is the gospel screaming at us saying, remember me. Remember the gospel. Remember these things. And praise the Lord because you have been delivered. You have been spared. We who were dead, we've, again, we've been, like, just as David has this, like near-death experience, and it's all figurative language, I believe. I mean, I think he's just thinking about sin, and, but we know the reality. There is, a, there is a reality behind the wages of sin. And we remember that we were dead and that we were, that's, we were going on a collision course to the pit of hell, and rightfully so. But God delivers us. And God saves us. Now I'm going to jump down to verses 6 through 10. So David says, I'm going to worship the Lord because he has saved me and he has delivered me. And in salvation, you see the mercy of God, you see the grace of God, and ultimately you see the love of God. And so you could just be, okay, David's saying he's going to worship the Lord because God, God loves David. And he has delivered him, he has saved him, he has resurrected him. And then David goes down here in verses 6 through 10 and gives like a little personal testimony, all right? And ultimately, summed up in verses 6 through 10 is God disciplines those he saves, all right, those he loves. And so, yes, God saves us, and God has saved us, but God also disciplines us. And we read in Hebrews, all right, my son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? But if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us, and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit, so that we can share in his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And so it's like God 
I'm going to worship you because you've saved me. So God saves his people. God saves David. God has saved us. God loves us. And God discipline. When, when, when you hear the word God disciplines us or God disciplines me, just remember, ultimately what you're hearing is God saves you. God sanctifies you. God saves his people. And then God sanctifies his people. And this is the story that David tells. When I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Ooh. Why? I mean, he's even, he's even, I mean, he, he's, he even says, Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. Now, but this is hindsight, all right? He's, right, he's not writing ahead of time. He's writing, he's looking back. But it's this, you can even be like, I will never be shaken. You can think it, and you're like giving the Lord glory for it. And meanwhile, the Lord knows your heart, and you're just being pride. It's pride. You're just being proud in your own strength, giving lip service to God. And David says, when I was secure, I said, I will never be shaken. Lord, when you showed your favor, you made me stand like a strong mountain. Again, he's just showing us that sanctification is monergistic. It's all God. The, the standing, it's all God. The falling, it's all God. The discipline, the testing, it's all God. The trials, the joys, the sufferings, the pain, it's, it's all God. When you're hit, here we go. Here's the discipline. Here's the sanctifying. When you hid your face, I was terrified. I will stand. I will never be shaken. God kind of pulls back, and he just, and then he just, he's, he's shaken. He crumbles, and he's terrified. Lord, I called to you. I saw, but look what it's meant to do. All discipline meant to ultimately draw us to God, to receive grace. We always, when we pray, we're always reminding each other when we pray before the service, um, the, the men back there, we want to give God glory, right? And we think in our brains that, that what we do to give God glory is to conquer something, is to do something well, and actually maybe be the best at it, and maybe get noted for doing it. And then when I get famous, then I'll be like, glory to God. We, we think we've got to just climb mountains to give God glory. And I believe David in here, is, and I believe the scriptures over and over and over again, say, no, no. If you really want to give God glory, then respond the way that David does here in, in his discipline. And that is simply to say, God, please help. Yeah. Give me grace. So we actually, so we want our Sunday mornings to give God glory and we want to receive grace. But we believe that it is actually by our receiving grace that we are giving God glory because we are saying we need you. We love you. We trust you. We have no power in our own strength. We need everything we need comes from you. And that is ultimately how the people of God give God glory. And that is what God is wanting in discipline. Yes, it works out holiness and righteousness, but it's as we just come to God and do what David says, Lord, I called to you. I sought favor from my Lord. What gain is there in my death? And if I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your truth? Lord, listen and be gracious to me. Lord, be my helper. And just drawing close. I will never be shaken. And then the Lord says, really? And then, Whoa! Lord, help, Lord, help, Lord, help. I mean, this is basically every form of discipline in our lives takes this shape. Every form of sin in our life is saying, I got, I got this. Every time we sin, we are, we are trusting in ourselves and in our own power and strength. And, and the way that discipline, I mean, God uses discipline, he's got, he can do it in a multifaceted 
different ways. But ultimately, what discipline is, is God just going, er, just pulls back, just pulls it back. Really? You got this thing? And, and, and it's, it's, it's God's love. I mean, even Hebrew says it's because he loves his children. And so God saves his people. But when we think about salvation, don't let us just always and only. I mean, in America, in the last hundred years, basically when we think of salvation, we just think, ultimately we just think of being forgiven for our sins, which is cool. Think about that. We, we don't even think about the fact that we have the imputed righteousness of Christ, that we aren't just forgiven, but we've now been declared righteous. And when we also think about being saved, like God saves his people, that's the first little section here, is part of being saved is also, like, being sanctified is part of salvation. Justification, sanctification. And so God saves his people, boom, and here's how he saves them. He sanctifies them and he disciplines them. And that's what David is saying to us. But he's ultimately, and now we circle back around, okay? God is gracious and God is is merciful. Now, we could spend a whole sermon on the fact that just discipline itself is gracious and merciful, but that's not what we're going to do. We'll save that for another day. It, it is. The discipline of God is mercy on our lives. It's grace in and of itself, okay? But what David does here, and I believe this is the whole point of the whole psalm, is that God is gracious and God is merciful. If you look in verse 5, all right, so here we go. God has saved us. God has saved me, David says. And then we say, God has saved me too. And then David says, yeah, God also disciplines me. But, and we're like, yeah, that, he does that. Hey, chin up. Chin up, though, for a second. Because listen what David says here in verse 4. Sing to the Lord, you his faithful ones, and praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, and he's not talking about one literal night. He's not saying, hey, you got issues, it'll be gone in the morning. It could be multiple nights, and we know this from experience, right? It could be multiple, multiple. It could be a lifetime of nights, but there is joy in the morning. Yeah, I, trust me, rainy's I don't know, a lifetime of nights. No, we all, we all could say that, right? But David is saying, hey, hey, God disciplines his children, right? But mercy and grace win the day. Yeah. Like, our life is not, it's not a lifetime of experiencing, ultimately, defined by being disciplined by God all the time. And we're just, and, and we're just stuck, and, and does God let, no, 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 no. There is discipline, and it is love and mercy and grace in and of itself. But ultimately, our lives are defined by grace and mercy. It's a lifetime of experiencing God's favor. His anger lasts only a moment, but his favor, his grace, his mercy, and his love a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight. Weeping for what? For whatever. For the sin? For thinking like David that you got it, that you will never, you will never fall? And you don't need God's strength? And, 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 and God pulls back the curtain, and then, oh, night, however many nights this is be, there's weeping when you realize, just like the weeping David even says that, that he even shows, he cries out to the Lord. Oh, but the Lord always comes through. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will never leave us, even when he, you know, David says he does. We know that he doesn't, all right? We're, it's figurative language. It feels like he leaves us at times, especially when we're being disciplined. But he will never leave us nor forsake us. And in verse 11, you turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth. You clothed me with gladness. 
that's, that's, that's our story. That's our legacy. Our legacy is ultimately not going to be one of a unhappy father beating the tar out of his kids. Praise the Lord. Our legacy, our lifetime, our lot in this life is one of experiencing God's mercy and grace and love and compassion and goodness, all the good stuff. Because God is gracious and merciful. He doesn't discipline us just because he can. He doesn't discipline us just simply because we deserve to be disciplined. He could discipline us our whole life. Didn't even have to save us in the first place. He could have saved us and then just beat the tar out of us for our whole life and have every right to. That's why it's mercy and it's grace that he doesn't and goodness and love. And so... When you think about salvation, God has saved me from my enemies. Now take a walk with who those enemies actually are. Sin, they're big enemies. Satan, death. God saved you from that. And God is currently saving you from the power of sin. So he saved you from the penalty of sin. He's now saving you for the from the power of sin. And how he does that, how he saves you from the power of sin is by disciplining you. All right? And it is painful. I mean, Paul says, or whoever wrote Hebrews, I don't know if it was Paul. I actually think it was a Paul. It's a different subject for a different day. It's painful. But as again, as the writer of Hebrews says, looking back, you're, you're just like, oh, praise the Lord that he just didn't let me keep walking without him. Praise the Lord, he didn't just keep letting me treat my wife that way or my kids that way or, 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 think, or my thinking about the Lord that way. He, it was painful, but he saved me from driving my car off a cliff with people in it. I was going to write an email to people. He saved me from that. This is our, that's, we have a lifetime of going through that and in that, but ultimately, God isn't just looking like... <laughs> The picture of, of walking as pilgrims and always having to look over your shoulder to see if God's about ready to beat the tar out of you is no way to live. And it's not how God wants his people to live. He wants his people to know that actually the discipline, although painful, it is good for us. But ultimately, and that is mercy and grace in and itself, but ultimately it's not our lifetime is not one of just constantly being beaten and disciplined by God. And David makes that clear, and we all love this, for his anger lasts only for a moment, but his favor for a lifetime. Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning. Now, David begins this psalm with worship, okay? I will exalt you, Lord. And then he exhorts the uh, people of God to praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord, ye, you his faithful ones. And then he ends the psalm with, so, I mean, here's why he was saved. So, that's a reason word, that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. And so when we get to this psalm and we're like, what's all the application? What do you got to do? Tell me something to do, which that's fine, we will. But it's ultimately about knowing things. And what we need to know, and this is my favorite application, is just knowing things. And, and basically being reminded of things we already know, I think is the most important application. 
And what we, what we come to church today and what we're reminded of is we've been saved from sin, Satan, and death. We've been, like David, near-death experience, we've been saved from the pit of hell. We've been saved from Sheol. And then we're reminded that, man, okay, Lord, help me to quit complaining so much when you're just, it's just discipline. Help me to endure. Help me to be patient. Help, help me to know that when I get on the other side of this, I'm going to see that you are, you're working all things for good. Because you love me, and because you first love me, I love you. And because I love you, your word says you're working all things for good for those that love you and are called according to your purposes. And then we're reminded that although that is going on, it's, it's just God is not just, his, his, he's just not mad at us all the time. He's not. I mean, as good as a father you could possibly be, sometimes our discipline is done in uh, unrighteous anger. And we have unpleasant thoughts about our kids. And then, so then we see God the Father that way sometimes too. And it's just not true. No, our life is defined by mercy and grace. And so our application then is to take all of that knowledge, that remembering stuff we already know, and just worship the Lord. Worship the Lord. I mean, David, the whole thing is about worshiping the Lord for God's mercy and grace. David has a living hope. We have a living hope. Our hope is in that, just like David's, we will be in the presence of the Lord, worshiping him forever. And so we were, as he says here, David was saved to worship. You turned my lament into dancing. You removed my sackcloth. You clothed me with gladness so that I can sing to you and not be silent. Just as David was saved to worship, we must understand as the people of God, the primary thing we were saved to do is to worship God for his mercy, for his grace, and for his great love. There's other things to do that are important, but we usually elevate those things higher than the ultimate thing because this just doesn't seem like, what do I get out of this? How, how does my ministry increase if this is all I do? How do I feel better about my salvation if I just do this thing? I mean, can't you just tell me something to do that I can look at? And the, the word of God constantly puts worship at the pinnacle of what the people of God are supposed to do. Saved to worship. Saved to worship God for the mercy and grace that leads to eternal life. Saved to worship for the mercy and grace that we experience in this life in God's fatherly care of his kids. And Peter says this, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Man, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And what we do with that is we praise God for his mercy. And so summed up, God saves us. God saves us by disciplining us. God gives mercy. God gives grace. Our lives are not and will not be defined by discipline, but by God's favor. Our whole existence unto eternity will be one of experiencing God's favor for all to see. As Paul says in Ephesians, he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, 
so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable riches of his grace through his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's incredible. And so worship the Lord. For what? Okay, that thing over there, you're going through a bad thing. That thing's not going well over there either. You don't know what's going on with that thing. You hope it works out, but you're not sure. And what's this thing in my brain that just keeps talking to me, this stinking thinking? That may not be going well either. But when we think about ultimate, ultimate reality and our ultimate enemies, and we think about the fact that we have been saved from sin and, and death and Satan and from the penalty of sin, we've been saved from ourselves then those things don't just magically go away, but this like thread of joy just gets infused in it all, this living hope that we are going to, like David, worship the Lord forever. And it's, it's, it's sooner than later. Once you're born, it's, it's going to happen sooner or later, but once you're born, it's going to happen sooner than later. We are on, we're fast-tracking to either the Lord coming back, yes, that would be awesome, or we're going to die and be with him. It's happening at warp speed for all of us in this room. Elijah, you can come up. And so how cool is it, I think, to gather together and remember who we used to be, remember where we were headed, remember who God is, and remember because of the work of God in Christ Jesus, we're not going that way. We're no longer under the God's wrath. We're actually going this way. I know all that stuff's going sideways. I don't know how God's going to do all that, but I know when it's all said and done, I'm going this way, and it's, it's in the presence of the Lord for eternity. And you mean the only thing I got to do with that is what I want to do naturally anyway? I don't have to run out of here and do three things and come back and hear about three more things I got to do? You mean I just get to, when I think about that, what the Lord wants me to do is what, what David does, is just worship him? and give him thanks, and then whatever stuff I actually do do is just based in a response of gratitude for all that God has done. It's not to prove that I'm saved. It's not to prove to myself or to God or my coworkers or my wife or my husband or my kids that I'm saved. It's just out of sheer gratitude that I then go love my neighbor. Because as they say, and been saying for hundreds of years, God doesn't need our good works. You don't need your good works. Your neighbor needs your good works. I need your good works. You need my good works. So in this psalm, and this is where I'll close, all right? In this psalm, we see David. We see the story of David's salvation. We see David's deliverance. We see David's, air quotes, resurrection. We see David's sin. We see David's discipline. We see David's repentance. We see God's mercy on David's life. And then we see David's response of worship. So into the worship that he opens up with worship. Then he declares to the people of God to worship. And then he ends with, I will worship the Lord forever, all because of God's salvation for him and for God's people. All right? But we must not stop with David. Because in this psalm, we see ourselves. We see the church. We see our story of salvation and deliverance and resurrection and future resurrection. We remember our sin. We remember God's mercy. And then we are called to worship. But when we, okay, when we think about David and then move on to the church, we can't stop with ourselves. For when the church sees its story of redemption, when the church remembers God's mercy towards sinners, when the church is 
called to worship here out of Psalm 30, the church sees its Savior. The church moves from David to the, themselves and seeing themselves and their own salvation. But we can't think of our salvation without thinking about our Savior. We can't think, the church can't think about our redemption without thinking about the Redeemer. The church sees the person and work of Christ. We see Jesus in Psalm 30 because we see resurrection. We see salvation. We see mercy. We see grace. We see forgiveness. And who embodies all of that but Christ? And again, my favorite commentary, and there's a lot of good commentaries on Psalms, is this Hamilton Jr. guy, all right? He, this is what I'm closing, closing with, second closing, second breakfast. David had a near-death experience that he describes in Psalm 30. Jesus was crucified and buried. David describes Yahweh's deliverance in terms of Yahweh raising him from the dead. On the third day, the stone was found to be rolled back, and the corpse of the Nazarene was found to have been given transformed life. The, dis the disciples wept through the night, but the shouts of joy were heard that morning. When the wailing was turned to dancing, the sackcloth exchanged for gladness, and the praises began that will never be silenced. In fulfillment of the patterns of Psalm 30 and the promises on which this psalm itself are based, Jesus rose to reign. And we know that Jesus rose to save. He was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. And so we get to, man, gather together and just praise God from whom all blessings flow. How cool is that? We just get to get our head up above the water. We're doggy paddling through this life. And, you know, we, we get a little bit of rest. We get some assurance. We get some joy in the midst of just whatever life throws at us or whatever it will throw at us. And we're just reminded of God's salvation. And we're reminded of um, even the goodness of, of just even God's discipline on our lives. And then we're reminded that it's, I'm, I'm, not, it's just, I'm not just waking up all day every day. Like when I die, it's not going to be like, well, he got disciplined a lot. It's not, it's, it's not gonna be, that's not going to be our thoughts. That's not going to be people's thoughts about us. It's, man, that, that ever, for every believer, our legacy is, man, God poured out his mercy and grace on that person. And let us praise him for it. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for uh, Psalm 30. Thank you for um, salvation. Thank you for your fatherly care, even when, Lord, we don't like it because we just it's, it's, it's painful to go through discipline. Lord, help us to trust you. Um, help us to rest in you. Help us to put our circumstances in right priorities, Lord. Help us to get our eyes on eternal things. Uh, help us this week as pilgrims just plodding through to keep our chins up. Help us to rejoice a little bit this week. Help us to rejoice even now. In Jesus' name, amen.